A special thank you to my amazing Shira wife. She's incredible. She doesn't doesn't stop um, both with everybody, always thinking about everybody, and uh, our kids and everyone else. It sounds like I do nothing. Um, but it, no, no, no. I'm just saying I do nothing compared to what she does. Um, but it's really, it's really amazing and uh, really, really thankful. Um, the music in the background goes really well with what I'm trying. No, it does. It goes really well. It goes well with what I'm trying to teach. So, um, uh, you know. But, well, it's you know, it's all about that lifestyle that we're trying to run away from. So, uh, you know, maybe we can. So, no, once in a while when they like to smoke outside there. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, when when my kids are around, we put we put Jewish music loud. So it competes. Your kids are around. Better. Oh really? Oh wow! The kids are around. Well, when, yeah, when they're not meant to be in bed. <laughs> now they can't hear much. Avram, go to bed. Ooh. Good job. I've tried I've tried that way too many times. It doesn't work. Good luck, dude. He went. He went. Okay, so. Um, Hey, welcome. We're just starting now. Come, come, come. Hey, Kevin, welcome. And you have some amazing food over there if you want. All right. Please feel at home. Please, please, Kevin, get yourself a bite. And <laughs> guys, now we're you know more intimate crowd. Please ask questions. Make it easier for me by asking. And I'm glad. Okay, so uh, I'm glad you're all here and joining me. So, last week we spoke about um, mental health, and that's such an important aspect of life, and why and what we can do to maintain and make sure that we have mental health. But somebody asked me a question, and it ties into this Torah portion as well. So someone asked me like this: It's all very good that you've got to be positive, and you know when you have a, a black dot on the paper, don't just look at all the white paper. Uh, don't look at the black dot. Look at the white paper. Right? You know, the rabbi who put a black dot on his paper, picked up and says, what do you guys see? He said, I see a dot on the middle of the paper. He says, no, you're wrong. You see a white paper and in the middle is a black dot. So uh, our nature is to focus on the negative part of the paper. And what we need to do is focus on the positive. And it's all good and it's all true. And when we start getting negative, it affects us in all areas of our life to a point where everything's terrible. That's depression. That's the point of, okay, I give up on my life. Everything's horrible, right? I don't want to date. I don't want to live. I don't want to work. I'm, I'm done with my life. That's the kind of mentality that we lead to. Starts with one thing, and it leads to something where you say, I'm done with everything. So somebody asked me, well, that's all very good, that we've got to try and work on our positivity and seeing the positive signs of life and there's things that you can do prior to getting depressed. When you're depressed, you can't get out. It's very hard to get out of it. But prior to being depressed, there are things that we can do, like changing our value system. What is important to me, what's not? Changing my attitude. Am I grateful on things that I have? Okay, those are the things that we need to work on um, in order to maintain a happy lifestyle. But... Somebody asked me a great question. If I'm going to be trying to be positive about my life, seeing the kindness in my life, seeing the good, then when I'm, sometimes am I going to miss 
being realistic? What happens if I'm dating someone and I'm being positive, being positive and I'm ignoring the negative aspects of that person? Can that happen? Right? What happens if I'm going on a date and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I just want to, I want to be positive, I want to be positive, but at some point I've got to see the negative parts. Am I being real? Am I being realistic? Do you hear the question? So this is the question they asked me, and this applies to many areas of life. Are people that are being positive unrealistic? That's a question that I've been asked. Now, I never said, never, that you should be positive about things that do not exist. I'm telling you to be positive about things that exist, but just that we get overly used to them. I never said you should be, uh, you should say, thank God I have a third eye that lets me see in all dimensions. I never said that. I said, thank God, just, just be grateful, learn to have the gratitude by the fact that you have eyes. Oh, come on, Rabbi. You know, like, that's obvious. Yeah, but when somebody works on those things, they can eventually avoid their depression. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? So I'm never saying that you are you're turning a blind eye. You're not being realistic with the good that's happening in your life. You just grow to appreciate and see the good that's happening. Make sense? But there is a time when it's dangerous to judge on your own. And I spoke about this on Shabbat. And I believe this with my fullest heart. There's a time when you cannot judge. When you cannot, um, in a situation that you're in, cannot say, oh, you know, Everything is positive. Everything's positive. You know why? Because you're biased to yourself. Our rabbis teach us, and this is a commandment in the Torah, just like when you're a judge in court, right? Somebody who works in a court. If you are working, you're judging someone who's a relative of yours or someone who bribed you. It says, Lotikach shochad. It's a commandment. One of the 613 commandments is don't take bribery. If someone comes to you and says, Hey, I give you uh, $100. You're my friend. I also know that you're going to be my judge next week. You took that $100, you cannot be the judge, according to Jewish law. In American law, it's the same. You're biased now. There's a rabbi. There's a story of a holy rabbi. He was meant to be in a court case. It was a monetary court case. And uh, there was a discussion. He comes into the courtroom. He didn't know who the people were. He didn't know who was involved in the case. Someone opened the door for him and was being extra kind to him. He sits down. He realizes that one of the people in the case is the person that opened the door for him. He stood up and walked out. He said, I'm biased to this guy. I feel some kind of gratitude towards him. Go on. So if someone offers the judge $100 and he says no, is he still biased? Because now that guy is the guy that offered him $100 and he said no, but now he knows and he's like, that guy tried to bribe me. Am I biased again? That is a good question. I think that even if he's been, if he feels any, f any form of um, uh, sense of connection to him, it can also go the other way. Yeah. He might feel resentment, like, oh, yeah, he's trying to bribe me into this case. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge him completely the opposite. I'm gonna, right? So if, if, he, if he feels in any way, then he'll have to walk out of the case. Mm -hmm. cool. I don't know exactly the laws of uh, a judge, but I, I, that's what I understand. Okay. Um, there's, there's very specific. This is one of the mitzvot. You can't take bribery. It's not only with money. It's also when you feel some kind of... Well, we are, we are judges of ourselves all the time. I spoke about this on Shabbat. We judge ourselves all the time. 
And if I'm judging myself, I'm going out with someone. Right? It feels good for me. I'm, I feel co- a company. I don't feel lonely anymore. So therefore, I'm going to continue to date this person even though they have this and this and this fault. I am judging my own date. Sometimes it's dangerous for me. You know why? Because I am biased. Because there are things that I'm enjoying about this relationship that is making me stay in this relationship even if sometimes it shouldn't be. Are you with me? We are biased to our own desires. We are biased to our own ego. Right? And we are biased in terms of the way that we look at other people. If I'm jealous of someone, that could change the way I think of myself. I make decisions totally based off the way people think of me. And therefore, there's a lot of times where I cannot make my own judgment. I cannot just go based off my gut and my feelings. I spoke about this on Shabbat. You cannot just follow your feelings. That's why it says in, in Shema, we say this every day. It's one of the holiest prayers that we say. And don't just follow your eyes and your heart. Don't just follow your gut. Because sometimes you're following what feels good for you, which is not good for you. Like candy feels good. It's, it's called matok lachech. It's sweet. That's what my mom did. It's sweet for the moment. It's sweet, much sweeter than steak. Well, steak, I don't know how healthy. But it's much st- sweeter than healthy food. So there's a drive for me to want it. it does, does that mean that it's right? There are many things that, in our li- that happen to us in our lives that feel good. But are they good? And the answer is no, they're not. They are not. Do you know why? Because we are our own judges. We are biased and it's not the best for me. My example that I gave was when I'm working out, right? So when I first went to work out, I didn't know what I was doing. I wanted to look good. Well, if you want to look good, what do you work out on? The front of your body, because that's what you see in the mirror, right? Everyone looks in the mirror in the gym. That's what you want to work on. Your biceps, your chest, your stomach. Well, what are you, what are you going to do to your back? If you keep working out the front of your body, what's that going to do to your back? And do you know what happened to me? I started having back pains. I was like, I'm done with the gym. Right? I started having tr- tremendous back because I didn't know I was going for what feels good for me. But I didn't know that I've got to also look at the rest of my body. And therefore, if somebody asks me, if somebody asks me, how do I know if the person, I'm being positive realistically. Sometimes you're not being positive realistically. You need an objective opinion. That's why it says, Make yourself a master. Have somebody that can be objective for you. That's why we have the Torah as a guide. Because I, as a human being, cannot always go based on how I feel. Because the way I feel could take me in the worst of places. Some people feel like they want to shoot a school up. And then they do it. He felt that way. I feel this way. He felt that way. Who says he's wrong? There's obviously a sense of what's true and what's false, right? But he felt, he felt that's what he wanted to do. We have to go, we have to accept everyone's feelings. And the answer is, feelings are not everything. Feelings could take us to the wrong place. It's called the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. What's the evil inclination? Inside of me, there's something that wants good and there's something that doesn't. How do I know? Well, I wake up in the morning 
I want to get up, right? But then I stay in bed. Why? I w- my want is in one place. It's, like, it's literally like there's two people inside me talking. Do you have that? There's two people in me that's talking. I don't want to get angry, but then I do. I don't want to waste my time, but then I do. I don't want to spend another hour on TikTok. I don't have it, but I know that that's what everyone does, right? So I don't want to spend another, and then I do because it knows my algorithm, right? It knows my brain better than I know myself. I don't want to do, there's, my whole life is going through moments where I say to myself, I want to be better. I hold myself to a higher standard, right? That's my soul, my neshama. And then there's my natural desires that are pushing me to a different direction. The Talmud says that the, every human being's inclination, Yetzirah, is compared to a fly. Why a fly? It says many things. One of them is that your inclination to do wrong is compared to a fly. It's a Talmud in Brachot. Why? A fly sticks to anything. It could be upside down. It could be the smoothest glass. Right? Smooth. And it sticks on it. It's amazing. How? It's teaching me that, uh, that's the light, the fridge, the motor, makes the light. So uh, uh, it teaches me, the fly teaches me, that no matter how smooth you think you are, no matter how perfect we may think we are, we could still fall because we're human beings. No matter, I might say to myself, I have overcome, right, temptation to... Do this, that, and the other. David Amelech, David the king said, I have overcome the temptation to be with somebody who is not for me. I only want to be with my spouse. I don't have any temptation to be with anyone else. And then he fell. Because every human being can fall. A person needs to be aware that I am a human, I have desires, and I can fall in the wrong directions. Every human being, no matter how old I am. And it could be in terms of um, eating a healthy diet, saying, I have overcome my temptations to not eating bad food for me. And then after a few months, boom, I fall again. Story of my life, Mm -hmm. right? So everybody has a situation where they say to themselves, I can can overcome, then they fall. There's no way out of it. That's why a person needs to make his boundaries prior to prior to the falling, so that he doesn't fall at the time. There's many ways that a fly is compared to the Yetzirah. You know, the fly has thousands of eyes. Have you ever seen a picture, a macro image of a fly? Thousands of eyes. Can you imagine a a helicopter that's able to fly, take off as a plane, but also hover in the air like... So it's a plane, it's a helicopter, it's tiny, it can go on any surface, it can, it can go on any surface no matter how soft and hard and uh, what position, it can create more helicopters and more planes, because that's what flies do. Can, do, you, do you understand, it's just one little thing, can you imagine a camera, a camera that is able to have that many lenses? Think about this. A camera that's able to have that many lenses. Imagine what kind of computer you need to have. It can't be the size of a fly. It's got to be a real beast to be able to take that much imagery 
and put it into so much of right, at every second. At some point, the 4K camera is going to break down. Now, the, the, cam, the eye of a, of, a, of a fly is something beyond. Their vision is way beyond our vision. So it's a tiny little thing. Someone tells me, I'm not sure about, you know, if there's a creator behind everything. Just look at a fly. <laughs> a fly that eats the dirt, right? But that's compared to the Yitzhak. Why, why is the eye, and why is that considered as a comparison to the Yitzhak? Do you know why? Because the evil inclination in us starts with our eyes. Not that our eyes are evil. But it starts with the eyes. It says, First the eyes see something. Then it's the Lev Chomed. And the Lev, the heart says, Oh, I want it, I want it. And then the, the vessels, which is the body, eventually goes and pursues it. The way that a person avoids the problem, right? The way that you avoid it is you don't look in the first place. And I'm talking about whether it's jealousy or anything in this world that's something which I shouldn't be getting or shouldn't be fighting towards getting when I know that it's not going to help me. Look, we're talking about mental health. We're talking about having mental health. One of the biggest problems in, in 2021 is dealing with mental health. And how can we deal with it? There's, I gave a lot of things last week, but I'll tell you, I forgot to say something very simple. If 24 hours of my day, right? If 24 hours of my day is spent looking at everybody else's life, looking at what else I can achieve and make, listening to music that's only about whatever I'm missing and how I hate this group, but I like another group. And I don't like this part of me, but I like another part of me. And the language that I'm hearing is constant cursing. Oh, but I don't mean it. doesn't matter. Right? The food that I eat is not good for my soul. Not just that it's not healthy. There's food that could be healthy, but not good for the nefesh. doesn't mean anything. Right? You, or we think it's, but the food, constantly eating non-kosher. That food actually comes part of my blood, comes part of me. Somebody who eats pig, a lot of pig, you, you're not going to come a pig, right? But you, it, that, what the animal does comes part of your blood. So that's going to affect me somehow. Right? You don't need anything. We all think, I need this, I need a psychologist, a psychiatrist. You don't need anything. 20, if 25, 24 hours a day, till the second I sleep, I'm bugging my brain, with constant, I need, I need, I need somebody else's life, Facebook, right? Somebody else's image, somebody else's, then the music, then the language, then the people I work with, then what we call in Hebrew, Lashon Hara, gossip. If my life is surrounded by that for 24 hours a day, obviously I'm, my brain is not going to be healthy. I'm frying my brain. This is, I'm, I'm not saying this because... I'm being harsh or annoying or negative. It's a reality. If that's what I'm doing for m many hours of my day, then how can I expect myself to have mental health? I forgot to mention, it's the basics. If you w really want mental health, it starts here. What kind of life, wh what am I doing with the hours of my day that I have? Or even the hours that I'm free? Or the work environment that I'm in? Like, what kind of environment I'm in? So, the, the eye sees... It hears, well, who cares? What's well, not so bad if I hear? It's not so bad if I say this. It's not so bad, not so bad, not so bad. You add a thousand not so bads, right? It's not so bad if I say that. It's not so bad if I say, you add a thousand not so bads, 
And then you've got a person that's literally spending hours a day watching and seeing and talking and hearing negativity. Is that healthy? And then we wonder, where's mental health? It starts here. Before we even work on the other stuff. Good? Does that make sense? You like it or you don't like it? What are you going to tell me? Right? So anyway, um, so that's, that's my beginning. What does that, what's that to do with this week's Torah portion? Here. Because this week's Torah portion is all about arguments. Massive. Last week as well was negativity. The Jews come out of Egypt. They're in the desert. Right? This is amazing stuff. They're in the desert. They have everything given to them. Hand, the manna. Psh, miraculous food. Everything's miracles. They see the biggest revelation. And yet, even them, the leaders, the Nesiei Haeda, right? The, the leaders of each group start being negative. So, if they, who were on a very high level, came to a point where they started getting negative, getting into arguments, saying, hey, it's not fair, right? gathering groups of negativity, if they can get to such a point, right, all the more so, it can happen to us. No one could trust themselves, right, like the fly. The fly can get anywhere. And if they can get anywhere, it can happen to me. By the way, it says, the fly can't, get, can't penetrate your skin. Can't go through your skin, right? It's only if you have a cut on the skin and it's open, there's an open wound, then the fly can actually get to the open wound. It can't go through the skin. If I allow myself to have open wounds, meaning I, allow my, I don't work on myself in terms of spirituality. I don't bring in the spirituality that can, that can save me. Then what's going to happen? The Yetzirah, the evil incarnation, can get to me and destroy, get to my, my mind, the way that I think of myself. So one of the ways that we get rid of the fly is I say to myself, it's not coming back to me. It's not coming, not in me, not with me, not anywhere. They say that the Torah is compared to water. Right? Uh, if you're thirsty, go and drink water. There's no such thing as water that's like Torah is compared to water. Why? Why is Torah compared to water? You want to know? If I ask you to carry a few buckets of water, right? Buckets of water, it's heavy. Each one is a liter, two liters, four liters. Ah, it's heavy. But what happens if you put it down and you decide, okay, I'm not going to carry it. I'm going to swim in the water. Five minutes ago, you were carrying water that was on you. A few liters and it was heavy. You couldn't walk after five minutes. Oh, it's heavy. You put it down. Suddenly you'd swim underwater and you can go 10 meters under, 20 meters under, especially if you have a uh, um, snooker. snooker. Right? What's it called? Snookler. Snorkel. No, snorkel. So you, you, so you go in the water and a scuba. You scuba diving. You scuba dive in the water. You go deep, 20 meters, 30 meters deep. How much, how much water is on top of you? How many tons of water can be on top of you? Tons! You feel the pressure. But because a person's completely inside, you can swim straight through. This is a very powerful idea in terms of also for us when it comes to taking on Judaism. When I put myself in the water, not that I 
take on an idea here or take on an idea here without knowing why I'm doing it. There's many times that I'll do something Jewish, but I won't know why I'm doing it. So I'm just carrying water on my back. But if I actually dive in, I try and understand, okay, what's the real meaning behind it? I learn about it. I get connected to it. I put myself, I delve myself properly into it. Then it's no longer a heavy burden on me. It actually comes something which I enjoy. It's not always easy. But when I have the understanding, it's going to be something which I can enjoy much more. That's why Torah is compared to water. Because when I'm actually in it, I can float. I can, I can swim. I can move. The water just carries me, not I'm carrying it. By the way, it's, there was a miracle when the Kohanim, the priests, would carry the ark, which carried the Torah in it. You know this? The ark would then carry the, the Kohanim. There was a miracle in the tabernacle whilst they were in the desert. Many miracles happened. One of the miracles was that there was an ark where they kept the holiest point of the tabernacle, right? The holiest thing that we had. There was an ark, and inside the ark was the tablets. It says that when the Kohanim would carry the ark, the ark would carry them. They wouldn't actually walk. They'd start lift it, and then suddenly they would go up off ground and they'd hover. It was a miracle. What is the message? When you are actually carrying the Torah, the Torah carries you. When somebody commits to the mitzvot of the Torah, at some point the Torah is going to start lifting you. It carries you, elevates you. But the condition is that you are immersed in it properly. That's the condition. That you dive into it. Just like when they carried that around the ark, when right, they were carrying it, it lifted them up as well. Same, you know, there's many things, there's many times a person's not here and not there with their Judaism. Um, I don't know, I'll give you an example, Shabbat. Right, so, I'm not here, I'm not there, I don't know, I'll do it once in a while, maybe... It comes a burden. When somebody dives in properly, prepares himself well, gets the food ready, dives into the Shabbat properly, right, prepares for it, has everything done, organized, suddenly Shabbat will lift you. Hey, how come? It was so hard for me previously. Yeah, because you weren't diving into it to its fullest. Suddenly when you put yourself in, when you fully taste it, you'll see that it's actually quite good. But you have to dive in to really taste it. Anyway, did you want to say something? No, I was uh, just giving you a good idea. You're right. Got to dive in. I'll tell you another example of dating. This is a real case where it can be very challenging for people here. Dating, I'm somewhat into my Judaism, but I'm somewhat not. So I have two worlds that I'm living. That can be very challenging for dating. Why? Because I'm not in. So the person that I'm going out with is like, so where, where are you? Where are you holding? What are your values? Are you in or you're not in? I'm not sure. Some way I'm in. I like this. I like that. And, and then there's no solid background to what, where you're holding Jewishly. And um, the conversation doesn't, ha either it doesn't happen. You don't really have a Jewish conversation. Or there is. Right? But when somebody's dived in to their Judaism, they're very clear with who they are, with what they want, with what kind of girl they're looking for. 
And if the girls made for them, they would continue and pursue that girl. If not, they would move on. It would be much more, it would be hard, but it's much easier to move on when you have clarity of where you are in the Judaism that you're in. I'm not in the, yeah. But you also mentioned in one of our meetings that practicing Judaism is not all or nothing. True. So, can... Sometimes you can't dive into the water. You've got to know, right? You've got to know... You've got to know how to swim. You've got to learn how to swim, right? You, you can't, you've got to know where the water is. Maybe it's shallow waters. Yeah, you've, got, you've got to test the waters first. You can't just dive in always. That's true. But at that point where somebody's uncertain, at that point of uncertainty, it's whatever area you're, you're uncertain with, that's a place or a time where it's very difficult. I'm just giving an example where it's de- very difficult in terms of dating. Because I am not here, I'm not there. I'm, you know, I'm all over the place. Where am I? Anyway. So wait, Rabbi Jack, are you the oxygen tank? I'm trying to be. <laughs> well. If you go scuba diving anytime soon, make sure you have him strapped on your... <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so here's... I'll, I'll just get into a bit of the idea of arguments and fighting. Because that's also to do with an internal battle that people deal with within themselves and how it fits in to Korach. Okay, so it's Gabe's bar mitzvah, he just told me. So here's the story of Korach, which I'm sure he knows very well. So the story of Korach, basically, he was a cousin of Moses. And he says to Moses, uh, excuse me, Rav Lachem, you have taken way too much, you've exaggerated. Right? In Hebrew, it will be exanthum. You've, taken too, you've gone out of your way. Excuse me? You've taken too much. You're both the leader of the Jewish people. And you've given to your brother the power to be a Kohen, a priest. You are taking everything. Not fair. Why do you have to feel like you're better than everyone else? We're all holy. We're all special. We all got the Torah. We were all at Mount Sinai. Why do you think you're better than anyone else? And Korach started getting, he gathered more and more people. He took some very important people. One of them was On Ben Pellet, who pushed, who backed out eventually. And he took 250 leaders of the Jewish people. He gathered them together and they all said, let's take a fight against Moses. And Moses hears that there's 250 people coming and they want to fight with him. What does he do? He talks to He falls to the ground and starts crying and praying. You know why? Because they accuse you. When someone accuses you for something that you exactly didn't... This is, by the way, how people get into arguments. They'll hit you in something that is exactly what you don't do. Right? Moses begged God, please don't make me the leader. He said, I can't speak properly. I don't have, I have a speech impediment. Don't make me the leader of the Jewish people. I can't do this. And what does Korach say? Korach says, oh, you're the one that thinks you're trying to take the leadership from everyone else. He says, excuse me? That's exactly what I prayed not to do. Right? Somebody who gets into arguments tries to touch the point that you're strongest at. It's like, it's like what's happening with Israel. Um, recently, I always bring this up. It's like what's happening in Israel. The, Ju- the, the Jews are the most immoral. 
They are the most immoral army. Excuse me? Are we called the Israel Defense Forces or the Israel Attacking Forces? What, what, are, what are they called? They're the most immoral army, purposely killing kids. Excuse me? We do everything not to. The only army in the world, ever in, in the world's history, that got into an, a battle. Just one second. So the only army in the world that got into a battle, ever, that not only are we in a war, but in order to retaliate, we'll let them know, the enemy will let them know that we're coming to retaliate. Please evacuate the building. We are going to come and hit the building in a few hours because you are hitting us and shooting rockets from this building. We have, we have to save ourselves. We can't just die. So, hey, we're, we're going to actually, and we call them, which kind of, never in history has that happened. And then we're the ones that are immoral. The Israel, right? They, they, they're trying to hit morality. In the name of morality, they're trying to hit the Jews. You understand what's going on? It's ridiculous. Absurd. Absurd what's going on. Do you, do you understand? Isn't that crazy? So, that's exactly what happened with Korach. Listen to this. A rabbis say, there are arguments that are good and there are arguments that are not good. This is the language. Kol machloket, it says in Pukhi Avot, chapter 5. Every argument that's for the sake of heaven, sofalit kayem, it's going to end up going well. It's going to work. When there's an argument for the right reasons, for a good cause, that argument is going to continue and it's going to be good. You would have thought, no arguments are good. Judaism says, no, no, no. If it's for the right reasons, l'shem shemaim, for the sake of God, it's going to be good. And then it says, V'she'en al-Hashem Shemaim, but an argument that's not for the right reasons, it's not for the sake of heavens, and sofali hitkayim, it's not going to end up good. And then it gives me an example. What's an argument that's called good for the sake of heaven? Do you know what it is? The argument of Hillel and Shammai, the two great scholars mm-hmm. that used to argue for days on end on what's right and what's wrong. If I find something, do I need to give it back? Well, it depends. Does it have its identity on it? Was it put on the side? Do, there are many... If I find money on the street, I'm not required to find the owner and return it. You know why? Because it has no identifiable mark on it. There's no reason why I should look for the owner. It's mine. When I find something, do I keep it or do I give it back? There's many questions in the Talmud of what's right and what's wrong. And they would argue... They would argue and argue from one side to the other, right? Someone came to Hillel and says, convert me whilst I'm standing on one foot. He went to Shammai. Shammai said, get out of here. I don't want to see you. Hillel says, no, come, come, come. I'll I'll do that. He says, what you don't want done to you, don't do to someone else. That's the whole of Judaism. The rest, go and learn. That's what he says to him. You can put your foot back down. So, two different opposing views. Shammai and Hillel, they constantly argued. But their argument stays forever and is good. But do you know an argument that doesn't stay forever? Korach v'kol adato. Korach and all of his crowd that he brought together. The 250. It doesn't say Korach against Moses. It says Korach and his congregation. It says Hillel against Shammai. Then it says, do you know what a bad argument is? Korach and his 
congregation of 250 people that he gathered together to fight Moses. Excuse me? It was Korach against Moses. Why didn't it say Korach against Moses? Do you know why? Do you know why? It says an argument that's not good is Korach and his congregation. Excuse me, it wasn't Korach and his congregation, it was Korach against Moses. But it wasn't against Moses. Because when an argument that's not good is when the person's focused on himself, on his honor, on his ego. He's not focused on the truth. And that's the difference between a good argument and a bad argument. The goal of the argument is, I want to know the truth. Let's say I have a discussion. The way that you grow, the way that you learn, is when you have two people. In Judaism, we have something called a chavruta. In Talmud, we have a chavruta. Chavruta means a friend. You sit down with somebody else, you, sit, you open a book together and you study it together. You don't just read a book by yourself. You argue the Talmud through. See, that argument is good. And that's going to last forever. Do you know why? Because we're both not fighting each other. We're both arguing to find out what the truth is. What's our goal? The truth. So anybody who's watching can see that we're trying, the truth is going to eventually come out. And we'll all know what the truth is. Sofalit came at the end. We'll know who was right. We'll know the truth. But when it comes to Shemayat, when it comes to Korach and, and Moses, Korach didn't care about Moses. He wanted, the, he wanted to take the hierarchy. He wanted to say, it's me. We're all, the, why are we, why do you think you're better than anyone else? I should have it. He didn't even get into an argument. He put himself on one side against the other. So anyway, there was one person that didn't get in. It started off, I'll finish off with this, very interesting story. There was one person involved called On Ben Pellet. He was a, a tremendous, he was one of the leaders also. And he started getting involved. He was one of the main advisors. I need to tell you this story, very interesting. He was the main advisors. Do you know what happened to On Ben Pellet? The night that they were meant to get into like the final argument where 250 uh, people that were, fighting Mo that were fighting Moses, they all got swallowed in the ground. A crazy story. They all got swallowed in the ground. At that moment, very interesting story here. On Ben Pellet didn't come. He didn't turn up. What happened? He went home that night when they were meant to have the next day. They were meant to have a big display. That night, On Ben Pellet didn't show up. He stayed at home. And uh, he came home and his wife says, listen, what are you doing? Why are you getting into this argument for? He says, what do you mean? Why am I getting? Because I'm right. I stand for Korach. Why should Moses take everything? So his wife says, listen, you are a friend of Korach. If Korach wins, what would you be? You'd be, you'd still be a person that's not, it's not going to change your status. You won't get the leadership. He'll get the leadership. So what are you getting into this argument for? You won't get the leadership. He will. And who's the current leader? Moses. So are you the leader now? No. If you get involved in the argument and Korach wins, will you be the leader then? No. So what are you getting into this argument for? So he says, I don't know. I think I'm right. He says, but still, either way, you're getting into an argument. You're not even going to gain anything from it. That's another lesson. Most arguments that we get, which is not real, there's not even any interest for me. What am I even doing this for? I get involved in a political debate. What for? 
Is it to do with me? No, we have to do it. We have to get into political debate. It's very important. No, it's not. Is it going to change me? I stand up for a political debate. Why? Is, am I going to be the leader? What's the point? Do your thing. Right? Vote your thing. But hours and end talking about a political debate, which is not even going to help you. People want to know the truth. It's true. But then what? People try What's that going to... So if I'm going to try and educate myself, I know the truth. That's one thing. But if it's an argument, and it's an argument, and that person says, I'm right, and this person should be... This, you're just satisfying... If it's satisfying your ego, then that's a problem. You have to know, why is this argument happening? If the argument's not happening and it's not going to get you anywhere, walk away. There's no point. So anyway, on Ben Pellet, he comes home, his wife says... He says to his wife, listen... I'm one of the heads of this whole argument. I can't just pull out now. They're all coming. Tonight we're going to do a whole display with the Ketoret. We're going to do a big display. I can't get out of this argument. I, I, I'm the one that made this thing. I'm together with Korach. I've, I've been organizing this thing. I, I recruited these 250 people in this fight. I can't just walk out. His wife says to him, don't worry. I'm going to cook you the best dinner. You stay here tonight. And I'll sit outside the tent and I'll do my hair. I'll start doing my hair outside the tent. I'll uncover myself, start doing my hair outside the tent. Is that what happens? What she tells him? Yes. And the Sanhedrin, page 109. So uh, she tells him, I'm going to do my hair. I'll do it outside. They are very holy rabbis. When they see somebody who's getting dressed, in those days, someone who uncovers their hair is already someone who's somewhat immodest. So, they are very holy, the Kedoshim. These are the leaders of the Jewish people. When they see that I'm doing my they're going to walk around and they're not going to come in. They're just going to feel uncomfortable. So she sits at the entrance of a tent doing her. These guys, the leaders, are coming. Hundreds of men are coming. And they see her. They say, can't go in there. So they walk around and they wait. They see her again. She's still, she was busy with one side. Then she went to the next side. and They went around, okay, maybe, but we need on. On Ben Pellet's the main guy. We need him to join our... They went round a few times. Eventually they said, we've got to get going. They're waiting for us. So they left. And he stayed at home. And because he stayed at home, he didn't get joined into the 250 people. He didn't get swallowed in the ground. And he survived the whole thing. Interesting. What does the Talmud say? On her, on, on Ben Pellet's wife, they say, Chochmat Nashim Bantabita, The wisdom of a woman can build a home. Why? Well, there's many reasons why the wisdom of a woman builds a home, right? The Talmud says that through, through her way of communicating, women have got a tremendous talent in communication. And she had an ability to not tell him, right, there's two ways, there's two ways that this could have happened. He, she, he could have come home and she could have said to him, you are not going out tonight. What would he have said? Yes, yes, I am. You're not going to tell me what to do. You're going to tell me? I'm going to prove to you that you're wrong. I am going. And he could have just run out, but she didn't do that. She spoke to his heart. She says to him, either way, what are you going to gain from this? Just wondering, trying to understand. (laughs) What are you going to gain from it? Either way, you're not going to be the leader. So why are you getting involved? And slowly but surely, she spoke him in logically, and he said, she said, I'll make you the food. Just sit down and eat. 
I'll, I'll deal with it. And through the way of wisdom, she managed to save and build a beautiful home for her and her children and her grandchildren. So we learn a lot of things here. One is how she avoided an argument. She was the exact opposite of getting into an argument. She knew how to speak in a very pleasant way that would appease him and calm him. And that's the exact opposite of what happens when a person gets into an argument. So obviously there's much more depth to how this argument happened and why they went into such an argument in the first place. But there is some things that I believe that we should take with us here. And one of them is the idea of mental health. I've been speaking about this last week. I've been speaking about this this week again. When it comes to getting into arguments, most times the argument comes because there's something that I'm lacking within. I feel like, oh, he's got a better life than mine. She's got a better life than me. Why, why is it that you are better than me? Why are you more supreme than me? This is the language. Why are you better than me? Well, maybe I am something valuable too. Maybe I need to lift myself up too. By the way, it says that Moses, he could have easily, he, when he heard about the argument, he tried to calm them down. He says, listen, it's not, why are you doing this? Did you think I'm trying to do this? It says that Moses got up and he went to Datan and Aviram, these two people that were also involved in the fight. He got up and went to them. Then he went back. He sat, he went, he got up. A lot of times you see he went up, he went, he sat. The rabbis asked, What's, the Torah never wastes words. Moses got, he came, he sat, he spoke to them, he got up. Never waste, the Torah never wastes a word. It says, Vayakum Moshe. Moshe got up to solve the problem. You know why? Because he could have sent, he's, Moshe was the leader. He could have sent some police officers. He could have sent some other people. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. If I send some pe other people, representatives, it's just going to fuel the flames. You know what? I'm going to go and try and solve it myself. And he did. Hey, welcome. Welcome, welcome. I'm going to try and, so try and solve it myself. I'm not going to fan the flames. I'm going to try and solve it myself. And it says that he got up. Do you know what it means he got up? He got up to a new level, spiritually. When he went and said to himself, I'm going to lower, I'm going to be humble. Even as the leader of a Jewish people, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to go and speak to him. Oh, is that a cockroach? <laughs> oh my goodness. You can eat it. Let the dog eat it. The dog would love it. He's milky. All right. Anyway. No, it's finished. It's finished. Finished. But uh, I wish you all the idea, this, this, uh, a blessing that you should all be safe and strong. At least it's not a fly. And uh, you should be uh, healthy and um, always see the positive in life whilst having clarity and um, goodness and blessings to you all. Thank you all for joining and being. Thank you, thank you. I'll take, I'd love to have questions or ideas or thoughts or anything you I have a question. Yes. Is it not good sometimes? You can feel comfortable to get up, move around. It. Don't let anything come on your shoes. To see something you want and to be more of what you can be to get to where you want to be. That's a good so question. It's not, like an, it's not like looking outside of yourself. It's like looking, not even jealousy or anything like this. Just to see something that you want to be there and it's like inspiring you to be, to be there. So that's fine, right? I can see like a big rabbi and I want to be like him. 
uh, I'm not competing with him and I'm, I'm not arguing or anything with this, but he's inspiring me. Good question. Yeah, so, so the question of, am I allowed to be jealous for something which is good? And the answer is, of course. It says, Kinat sofrim Jealousy of those that are, are, scholar, uh, are scholars will increase wisdom. When I'm jealous of someone that's learning, then it will make me want to learn too. It says, it's better to be the tail of a lion than the head of a fox. What does that mean? What's better? To be the worst kid in the class the le with the lowest IQ. Or, right, to be the, the same person in another classroom where you have the highest IQ. Right? A different school. In Harvard, but the lowest IQ. Or in uh, another school, I won't embarrass the school, which is with a very low IQ. With, with the, the highest IQ. Right? And you've got the highest IQ in the school. What's better? What do you think is better? Being, according to Judaism, right, spiritually, if it's in terms of spiritually, it's better to be the tail of the, of the lion than the head of the fox. Why? Because they're going to push you and make you grow on condition that you never undermine the value of yourself. Right? If you start saying, I want to be like this person, and therefore, I, where I am right now, is worthless. I have no capability. Then it's wrong. It's because I know myself. I know my strengths. And I know how good I am that I say to myself, I can even be like this. A good teacher will make you feel, not that you want to be like him, that you can be like him. Do you understand? A good educator not only would make you say, I want to be like him. It will make you also say, you know, I can really do this. I can, I, can, I can conquer this. That's a real leader. Yeah. Earlier you were talking about um, having your eyes open and <clears throat> you said have your eyes open to things that exist, not to things that don't exist. What, in, in your evaluation, what is the difference between uh, a judgment and an evaluation between assessing a situation and judging a situation. For example, um, uh, you're my friend and I don't like something that you do or I don't like the way that you live your life. So I'm deciding whether or not I want to be your friend. Right. Am I assessing and evaluating or, or am I judging? Right. So the answer to that question is subjective versus objective. Evaluating, right, is, I think, is, is from an objective point of view. Um, maybe it could be translated as the other way around. But if I'm doing it objectively, right, then it's fine. I can be the best advisor for someone else, but the worst advisor for myself. You know why? Because when it's for myself, I make sometimes the worst decisions. I'm not stupid. I can make great decisions for other people when they ask me advice. But because myself, I have my own desires involved. I'm like the judge who is biased to my own desires. So the answer to your question is, if I'm judging this person because I want to help him and I'm being objective, I have no personal interest, then I can judge them correctly. 
if I'm judging this person or evaluating this person, not because I have an emotional aspect, in, because I have an emotional aspect involved, then it's going to be problematic. Does that make sense? The minute that I'm emotionally connected, then it's much harder for me to evaluate and judge. I need an objective opinion. That's the idea of God and Torah. God and Torah is an objective vision of how life should be. Because who are you to tell me that thou shalt not murder? Right? Where, where did you get that from? Maybe I should, instead of... Who, I have my own values. You have your values. Who says your values are better than mine? That's why we need that objective vision of what's right and wrong. Okay, let's say you're my friend and you start... Um, say you start doing drugs. And I don't like to do drugs. So I'm trying to detach myself from my friendship with you. Am I casting judgment on you by saying, I don't like the fact that you don't do drugs, I don't want to be associated with that? Is that considered a judgment or is that considered an evaluation? That's a, that's a clear and good evaluation. And you can judge. You sh it says that you should judge people either favorably or unfavorably. Oh. There's times where you judge people favorably when they're good. Right? You judge someone favorably when normally he's always good. Today he made us something which seems strange. So you say to yourself, okay, wait a second. You know, um, he probably had a bad day. It probably didn't, normally he picks me up. Today he drove straight past me and he didn't even say hello. What's going on? He normally picks me up at the bus stop. Today he just drove straight past. So you have to judge favorably. Till now he picked me up. Obviously, today he didn't pick me up because something happened. But if he's always bad, he's a thief and he's in my backyard. Should I judge favorably? The opposite. At such a situation, you have to judge not favorably. Actually, you should judge, but in a negative way. So if you have clarity that this person is doing something wrong, then you judge them not in a favorable manner. And you still judge them. There is nothing wrong with judging, whether it's good or evil. Judge evil, judge good. You have to do one or the other. Yeah, that's something I get caught up on because in our, you know, in our society today, everything is, you're not supposed to judge anyone for anything and everything's equal and everybody is perfect and, you know, it's one man's trash is another man's treasure and all of that stuff. There's, tr there's truth that you don't judge someone until you stand in his shoes and you can never stand in his shoes. That's what Hillel said, right? Don't judge your friend until you stand in his place. Right? But at the end of the day, if it's personal to you, like the thief that's in your backyard, then to say, I'm not judging, I'm not judging. Right? I'm not judging. He's got a gun. He's pointing at me. Not judging. Yeah, that's obviously crazy. So I'm just giving you a very extreme example to kind of give you a feeling of, of, that of course, we need to judge. We need to be aware of our surroundings, of what's good and what's bad. Bad does exist and it can get to me. We believe that. There's, there is this idea that evil doesn't exist. Evil doesn't exist. No. Not only does evil exist in this world, but it can get to you if you don't turn away from it. If it's not stopped, it will get to you. Don't just think that a, if, if some evil is happening in another country, they can continue and do it, doing it forever and ever, and they'll be fine. Eventually that evil will get to you if you don't stop it. Okay, I guess we're done. Any other questions, thoughts? Feel comfortable?
Come on, Tyler. Tyler's always got good stuff to think about. Are we doing Wine Wednesday? Next week? I don't know. Was, did Chira say so? No. She's the boss. <laughs> <laughs> it's Taco Tuesday until Billy Oh, Gabe knows better than me. We should do Wine Wednesday. Thank you, Gabe, by the way, for everything he does. Oh,